Cannabis Nation, where we help guide you through the wonderful and complex world of cannabis by shedding light on your most burning questions and dankest desires. We are your hosts, I'm Susan. I'm Nick. And today we're going to be discussing the 1937 Tax Act in our continuing Prohibition series, and then some interesting cannabis science news. But first we wanted to briefly discuss the election results. It's been a while since our last podcast. It has. We're at like, what, four months almost? Yeah, at this point. yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, what a holiday season. Anyway. Yes, yes. We, you know, 2021 has thrown some uh, new things at both Susan and I, but yes, yeah. we are back with our beautiful sultry voices ready to grace you with some more interesting cannabis content sorry for the wait but yeah. uh, but it, it's it's worth it we promise yes we promise we've got a whole bunch of new stuff coming up some great ideas so it's gonna be a lot of fun. it's gonna be awesome but first we're gonna discuss the election results because you know we haven't been here talking with you about that yet and, mm-hmm. and if we are to believe many of our politicians we might soon see some cannabis legalization on a federal level yes we very well might so yeah, yeah they're saying that in the next two years, they plan on legalizing cannabis federally. That's that's the uh, uh, the politicians there. So, what does this mean? Yeah. Um, well, for one, banking in the cannabis industry would be a whole lot easier. Oh my God! Yeah. It's yes. Yeah, banks and their lending uh, industries don't currently do business with us as they are afraid they will lose their FDA insurance along with other possible legal repercussions. Yeah. Um, So that would all go away. And Nick and I are, on a personal note, we are doing some things in our lives that require us to get some loans and stuff. And just getting people to get us to lend us money is one of the hurdles that we have to, just as normal U.S. citizens Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, do business and get by in our world and make things happen. So yeah. this would be huge if we could get this done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's going to completely go out the door. I mean, currently the only banking that we have access to are very small local banks that yeah. uh, don't provide a lot of the services uh, that, <laughs> that most businesses are allowed to use. Yes. So, so it can be pretty tough and expensive. Yeah. Um, uh, but there would also be a new tax structure around it, which would have to be implemented as it would no longer be classified under 280. Which is huge. Yeah. So that's not to say that 280 will just go away and, right. the, you know, they're still going to, it will, but there's still going to be a federal excise tax, but we will be able to make regular business write-offs. So no matter how much they set right. that at, it's still going to be significantly cheaper than 280E. Which will is in uh, its current form. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, correct. Make a, a lot more uh, money flowing through the cannabis industry, which would be nice. So, it'll be more businesses to be available, uh, more jobs, uh, and uh, you know, you're probably going to see even more businesses starting to uh, give their employees benefits. And oh, it'd be so and, great. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, because just to recap, the 280E is a um, IRS distinction of drug dealers so like you know the irs doesn't care how you get your money even if you sell cocaine they still want you to file and you have to pay a certain more percentage and you can't write things off because they're saying that they're being used to to make your money illegally so you can't write them off which i just think is hysterical that they've made this provision that they can actually still collect the funds (laughs) yeah yeah i mean yeah it's it's such a joke you know because any actual uh, yeah it's a it's a tax code specifically if you deal with drug trafficking right um and uh, anybody who's doing that 
completely illegally, of course, is not going to report it to the no. IRS because that's going to be admission of guilt. Yeah, so right. it only it only proves to affect uh, legalized, legalized marijuana. marijuana <laughs> right now, and its scheduling would have to change mm-hmm. too. So, is that a good thing? Yes, as we've previously discussed, that would be a good thing because that would open up the doors to real science. Yeah, and on also big scale. If it were to go federally legal, it would. Uh, I have to assume I can't uh, see any other direction than it going kind of the direction of alcohol and tobacco, where mm-hmm. alcohol and tobacco are recognized uh, drugs, but they are they have their own bubble outside of the scheduling, scheduling system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have a strong feeling that's the exact same thing that would happen for cannabis, which would be yeah. really good because, like Susan was saying, a lot more science, a lot more studies um, uh, will will go to it, and yeah. there's going to be a lot more recognition and availability for uh, and an improved an improved medicine all totally. the way around the board. Yeah, and no longer and also what would change is no longer will federal dollars, time, and resources be spent on prosecuting legally operating cannabis companies and workers for mm-hmm. heaven's sakes. Totally. I mean, there were there are times in. Um, they were talking about in California where, you know, I knew people that worked in the medical industry who mm-hmm. were always afraid that at any minute, any oh, yeah. second, the DEA was going to come in and take everybody to jail while yeah. they're at work. Yeah. You know, so. No, I, I mean, absolutely crazy. The, the I mean, we talked about it in the medical, especially in the yeah. medical uh, episode, but mm-hmm. the amount of showing of force that the federal government has done is absolutely insane. So, right. you know, that's going to cut that to zero. Awesome. Um, States would still write their legislation yeah. regarding enforcement and operating parameters. So you're not necessarily going to have blanket laws that right. are going to change the way things are working in the individual states that are already legalized. legalized. Right. Um, most likely they would take a page from our book and, and, and make some, uh, you know, broad, loose federal regulations. And then it would be up to the states to uh, kind of uh, whittle those down to exactly what works for their markets. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the states where legalization of cannabis of some form have uh, has been enacted have generated not only tax dollars, but have a significant reduction in cannabis arrests, which has freed law enforcement dollars Thank being you. spent on nonviolent cannabis activity. Yes. Yes, but we're not going to spend the money on that anymore. Mm. We're actually going to spend money on maybe some, you know... Infrastructure or... <sighs> Wouldn't that you know, be great? Uh, like prison we, reform maybe prison or reform or if we could to like education and yeah and if we could get like mental uh health mm-hmm. practitioners and or you know people to go we could spend the money on them to go right along with the police officers on certain mm-hmm. calls certain 911 calls mm-hmm. so there's so much stuff that i think funds that would open up that could greatly help yeah as nick was saying the infrastructure of law enforcement itself and the way they they conduct themselves totally and not just about cannabis. Yeah. Now, a 2018 study released by the Drug Policy Alliance titled From Prohibition to Progress, a Status Report on Marijuana Legalization, found that a total 
found that total cannabis arrests have declined sharply in states that have legalized. So just like what we were saying, the report states that Colorado experienced an 88% drop between 2012 and 2015, while Oregon saw a 96% drop from 2013 to 2016. That's huge. It is so huge, you guys. Just think of what that means in people's lives, families, breadwinners who don't have to go to jail for a freaking joint. Well, and it's crazy because we've been talking about this for so long. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're in a state that legalized almost seven years ago, uh, or eight years ago, and uh, we haven't had to deal with a lot of the stuff that's still going on in the United States, you know, talking about these... just massive incarceration uh, rates for nonviolent cannabis-based right. uh, crimes right. um, that are just filling up our prisons, making all these problems. When you know, we have to remind ourselves too that cannabis hasn't always been illegal in the well, United right. States. Exactly. So that's what we want to talk about today. Like, how did we get into this conversation that Nick and I are having at the at the top of this episode? Like, how did we even get here? Yeah. Right. So, up until the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, just like Nick was saying, cannabis and hemp had been legal in the U.S. since its inception, since the U.S., Mm -hmm. right, started. Hemp was a major cash crop for the U.S., and the psychoactive marijuana had been used in medical preparations, including some cold, simple cold remedies. So, what happened? Well, there are quite a few theories about what contributed to the regulation of marijuana. Popular theories include lobbying from paper, cotton, and nylon industries, but those have been heavily refuted. Mm -hmm. You see, DuPont, the original manufacturer of nylon, brought their products to market in 1935, Mm -hmm. two years before the Marijuana Tax Act. Coveted as a cheaper replacement for silk and rayon, hemp fabrics pose no threat to nylon's corner of the market. However, it is worth noting that previous Treasury Department Secretary Andrew Mellon, uh, one of the richest men in America, was heavily invested in DuPont's petroleum synthetics. Okay, and I'm going to start in here, right, because this is something that was interesting to me. Mm -hmm. So when we were going through the process of the research for this, I was looking into who these people are mm-hmm. who introduced this stuff, who who uh, uh, who who had where follow the money kind of a scenario for me. So I just want to tell you something, guys, that what's really interesting to me is there was this character uh, named Farmer Brown and uh, excuse me, Farmer Bob. And I think we uh, need to say that this guy he had been a senator from 1911 till 1950 okay and he was the one who was like the spokes introducing for the in the congress who introduced some of this so what's fascinating about it is when you go to look up quotes from this guy nothing Mm -hmm. and you would think from like 1911 till 1950 he would have said something quotable Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And also, when you were looking into this, like a lot of these families have erased themselves, their previous history. For, for example, the DuPonts, you can't really see anything about them uh, previous 1950. So it's just interesting little side note that some of these guys, some of these families have still 
buried information about mm-hmm. these characters, which I thought was fascinating because we're talking about 1937 and then it's 2021. That yeah. I couldn't find some stuff was interesting to me. Yeah, totally. No, yeah. I mean, the, there's a lot of holes and a lot of gaps in, in, uh, in all of this that we're going through. Yeah. I mean, even stuff that we were talking about from like the 70s, there was just like a whole bunch of weird like, okay, well, this person was introduced, but then we never hear anything about them ever again, yeah. and I can find that there was a record of them being this government employee, yeah. but literally nothing else about them. Like, what <laughs> the fuck's going so on? so weird. We see all this shit all the time. All the time. And when this. you think about how far back it is, it's just kind of mystifying. Yeah. So, yeah, and tell them like, the argument for cotton. No? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't exactly hold up um, as hemp processing processing is hemp processing was far more labor intensive than cotton making it more expensive as a fabric right as far as paper goes it's believed to be championed by william randolph hearst the owner of the largest newspaper and magazine conglomerate in the world at the time he had acquired large holdings in the lumber industry as well uh, to source cheap paper and thus increase his profits. Uh-huh. But the common reasoning for hemp versus wood for paper notes that hemp herds are 77% cellulose, which just isn't true. It's actually closer to 30%, making it not a strong reason to swap yeah. lumber for, for hemp. hemp. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we're done with Hearst yet. See, he was responsible for a lot of the anti-marijuana advertising of the time in America, publishing most much of it through his newspapers. Pancho Villa, Mexican revolutionary and um, guerrilla leader, took 800,000 acres of land from Hearst that he was using as a tree farm. So he was very angry, and he decided to retaliate with yellow journalism. And he went big. He plotted to demonize the Mexican population, as well as the blacks. I mean, might as well throw everybody in there, right? They always do. Yeah, by touting that they were bringing a new dangerous drug into the country, being marijuana. Hemp was still widely known and used at the time, and the majority of the U.S. population, including many lawmakers, had no idea that marijuana and hemp were the same thing. Mm -hmm. But Hearst wasn't the only one pushing the anti-marijuana propaganda. Yeah, we had Harry J. Anslinger Uh in there as well, the founding commissioner and head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. He was a major player in the propaganda as well. He was given this role in 1930, appointed by Treasury Department Secretary Andrew W. Mellon. Ding, ding. Yes, ding. the same one that we just talked about. Mentioned earlier. Yeah. Who was his wife's uncle. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Nepotism <laughs> as well is just such so rampant throughout throughout crazy all of our yes. all of our history. Really. Yes. Yes. They say we're not a monarchy anymore, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we vote for our monarchs, right? Yep. Anslinger was given a budget of one hundred thousand dollars and a wide scope. Yeah. One major role of his was overseeing alcohol prohibition as well as uh, as well before the lift of prohibition in nineteen thirty three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Prior to the end of alcohol prohibition, he had claimed that cannabis was not a problem, no. did not harm people, no. and quote, there is probably no more absurd fallacy than the idea that it makes people violent. Yeah. The man does a complete 180 and is then quoting saying things like by the tons it's coming into this country the deadly dreadful poison that racks and tears not only the body but the very heart and soul of every human being who once becomes a slave to it in any of its cruel and devastating forms marijuana is a shortcut to the insane asylum 
smoke marijuana cigarettes for a month and what was once your brain will be nothing but a storehouse of horrid specters. Yeah, just absolutely theatrical. Oh, it's great. His critics argued that he shifted not because of objective evidence, but out of self-interest. Due to the obsolescence of the Department of Prohibition he headed when alcohol prohibition ceased, thus campaigning for a new prohibition. Anslinger conducted dubious anecdotes of marijuana causing crime and violence and ignored contrary evidence such as the one offered by Dr. Walter Bromberg. Bromberg pointed out that substance abuse and crime are heavily confounded and that none of a group of 2,216 criminal convictions he had examined was clearly connected to marijuana's influence as well as a discussion forwarded to him by the American Medical Association in which 29 of 30 pharmacists and drug industry representatives objected to his proposal to ban marijuana. Now, one such claimant claimed that the proposal was absolute rot. It is not necessary. I have never known of its misuse, although only signal... The, oh, although the only signal dissenter... Now who noted that he had once encountered a doctor who had been addicted to marijuana, was preserved in bureau files. Yeah, yeah. only the one out of 30 that, that yeah. said that marijuana, was, the ban on marijuana was a good idea. Yeah, now see, obviously, Anslinger clearly saw his vanishing position in an alcohol prohibition and realized he had to pivot. And with Hearst Publishing going so much on the anti-marijuana want a propaganda it was an easy move these two either influenced or directly funded the vast majority of the anti-marijuana propaganda throughout this period including the infamous Rifa madness yeah we all know that one mm -hmm. that one's just a fun movie night now <laughs> but it wasn't just in america that was on this uh anti-marijuana tirade at the 1925 Opium Convention, mm -hmm. an Egyptian representative repeated many old prejudice claims that cannabis causes insanity and violence and provided bogus statistics that hashish was responsible for the majority of cases oh, in the nation's mental institutions. Okay. Yeah. Many of these claims could have been directly refuted by studies already published in Britain's Indian Hemp Drugs Commission Report of 1895, but British representatives were hesitant to speak at all yeah. due to the fact that Britain was the largest de opium <laughs> dealer in the world at the time and were almost solely responsible for bringing it into the Western world, as well as the entire need for an opium convention in the first place. <laughs> So needless to say, they kept it buttoned. <laughs> now, it's very likely that Anslinger and Hearst's propaganda was based off these same claims from Egypt and other nations that had yeah. long-standing cannabis regulations. Yeah. So in comes the Marijuana Tax Act. Because of hemp's industrial use, the state of farming in America and the nearly impossible distinction between hemp and marijuana, anti-cannabis lawmakers like Robert Dalton realized... Wasn't that Farmer Bob? That's... I was just going to say. Yep. Okay. Realized that the straight-up ban on hemp would never pass, so they had to get creative. Okay? So, uh, firstly, by using the Mexican slang term instead of hemp, and secondly, by shipping its... It as tax instead of pro oh, and, and then putting it in that tax instead of prohibition 
scenario, okay? So America was still dealing with the aftermath of World War One and the Great Depression, so proposing a tax that wouldn't affect the average American was a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. But what the majority of those who voted to pass this act didn't realize is that hemp and marijuana are the same plant, and this tax was so high that it would make it nearly impossible for an American hemp farmer to pull a profit, effectively making it illegal as to not pay it would be a felony tax evasion. All right. So, and that the Marijuana Tax Act would stay in place until 1969, just a year before the Controlled Substance Act that would fully prohibit cannabis in the United States. And that's how we got here. Yeah. Okay. Yep. No, it was, it's so funny that the finally, like, because there was this big, um, a Supreme Court case in 1969 of a guy that got uh, charged uh, under the Marijuana Tax Act for tax evasion mm-hmm. uh, uh, in Texas uh, for because uh, he had he was found uh, with weed on him, but it was a double jeopardy situation because he was in the state of Texas, which uh, had a local law against marijuana. So to pay the tax would have gotten him in trouble with the local law thus creating a double Double jeopardy yeah exactly so they that's what actually repealed the law unfortunately Uh. it was only one year before the csa (laughs) came into place so it was all for naught but uh, pretty, there was a pretty was interesting a little brief piece and of shiny there. moment there for a year now we thought it would be interesting you know on this note because remember because of that that tax act which made it nearly impossible mm-hmm. to 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 deal and 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 prescribe and do research and all those other things that go in with it so we kind of went backwards yeah so we went to the dark ages as far as cannabis and cannabis research is concerned so now we're going to bring to light some new cannabis research that we've discovered that is so fascinating and i just I'm just so excited that we get to do this now. That and he, and here they are, researchers in the United States have conducted a study showing that cannabis plant compound inhibited infection with severe acute respiratory syndrome, or SARS COVID two COVID two. Excuse me, the agent responsible for the coronavirus disease in 2019 in human lung cells. That's right. Mm-hmm. Tell yep. them about Marsha. Uh, Marsha Rosner from the University of Chicago in Illinois. Not a schlumpy school, by the way. Um, (laughs) And colleagues found that cannabidiol, CBD, and one of its metabolites potently blocked SARS-CoV-2 replications in lung cells. Amazing. Yeah. The CBD metabolite inhibited viral gene expression and reversed many of the effects the uh, virus has on host genes. Yes. It also induced the expression of interferons, Mm -hmm. cell signaling proteins that are produced by cell hosts as an early response to viral invasion. Right on. Yes. This metabolite is also an active ingredient in the treatment of epilepsy. Um, so it's already proven yeah, itself. Well, yeah, in yeah. multiple ways. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And no antiviral activity was exhibited by the other structurally similar com- uh, cannabinoids tested. Yeah. It, so it seems like there's this specific um, uh, metabolite of the CBD that's 
specifically what is responsible for this okay so yeah it was it was cbd itself helps and a cbd metabolite is what it was saying yeah 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 um but yeah, the uh, the team assessed the incidence of in the infection among 82 patients who had been prescribed CBD prior to testing and matched patients who had not been prescribed CBD. Yeah. Strikingly, the incidence of infection was only 1.2% among patients prescribed compared with 12.2% among the wow. pa- matched patients who had not been taking CBD. Wow. So, Ro- Rosner and colleagues say that although limited, some studies have reported certain cannabinoids having antiviral effects against hepatitis C virus and other viruses as well. <laughs> no matter what you read, that doesn't mean that you don't wear a condom. Right. It doesn't mean you share needles. No. It doesn't mean you don't wear a mask no. or social distance. No. You still gotta be safe. Okay? Okay? I, okay, this is... Sing it. Uh, this is why I'm getting deja vu about this because I feel like I have said literally that exact sentence. It doesn't matter how much weed you smoke, you still got to wear a mask and social distance. I know, but this was actual science that they came up. Now, this report that we're reading is in uh, March 14, 2021. Yeah. So before we didn't have quotes about who and what specifically. So I thought it would be interesting yeah. to put it in. And I do have to say, too, um, like Nick was saying, it doesn't matter what. Now, everybody's getting this vaccination now for the Mm -hmm. COVID, okay? And I've had people come into the shop Mm -hmm. not wearing a mask. Oh, no. And say to me, this is why I wanted to tell everybody about this. Say to me, I've been vaccinated. I don't care how much CBD you smoke and how many times you get the jab. You can still transmit this disease if you've been vaccinated. Yes. So you saying to the rest of us, I don't give a shit. I've been, I ain't going to get it. And I don't care if I pass it. I ain't wearing the mask is ridiculous. And if you think that you can't pass it because you've been vaccinated, I'm here to tell you. You're wrong. That's right. You're completely wrong. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's still incredible how so selfish people are yeah. <laughs> throughout this whole thing i mean i feel like especially us being kind of frontline workers at yeah. least with you know uh retail workers it's just it's just and, get, and get rude about it too, yeah yeah you know? really really rude about it and it, indignant so yeah. you know i don't care how rude and indignant you get i'm not gonna be offended i'm still i mean i might be but it doesn't matter i'm still gonna w- make you wear the mask mm-hmm. so just know it's I'm, not an argument no like, like you're not gonna win no you're just not gonna get this served. is just yeah you're not gonna get served you're so, gonna be asked to leave yeah so just please wear your condoms don't mm-hmm. share needles and wear your masks yep that's all yeah. the, the three <laughs> the three cannabis nation podcast keys to success Wear a condom, don't share needles, wear a mask. (laughs) Well. Oh, my gosh. Well, I think that's all, folks. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Nation. We hope this has helped shed light on your most burning questions and dankest desires. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Cannabis Nation Podcast. This is Nick. And I'm Susan. Ending on a high And, and yeah, um, what were we saying? It's always better to look when plugging something in. <laughs> Don't feel your way in there. Actually look at it. We got more than one sense for a reason. <laughs>